Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis about the three problems of Earth's immediate creation that made it a terrible place that was dark, lacked order, and was empty, but was all fixed by God. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org or on iTunes. I want to thank you for your listenership, and we'd like to encourage you to continue supporting the Friendship with God radio program so we can stay on the air on this station in your city. To do so, you can go to friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. And you can donate right online. And while you're there at friendshipwithgod.org, you can also sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse. And that'll come right to your email or to your phone, however you want to set that up. But you can sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse, small little verse, and commentary that Tom Cantor sends out daily. We'd like to get you signed up for that while you're there. And you can also sign up online to send a free gospel gift to a Jewish friend family member or maybe even a co-worker or some acquaintance that you know that's Jewish and needs to be reached with the gospel, you can get that free gift by signing up online or calling us at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Or again, you can go to friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's Tom Cantor with today's teaching program from the book of Genesis. And like when the world was a terrible place because it was an empty place, that separation from God caused us to feel empty because we were empty. And we felt that way. And when the world was a terrible place because of darkness, we sin caused us to grope around in life in the darkness, no light. But the world got fixed by God. And so we turned to God, and then he fixed us. And we turned to God because he first turned to us. Because we loved God because he first loved us. That's what it says in 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. And so God first turning to us before we turn to God. God loving us before we love God. That's the picture of how the world got fixed. It was only after the Spirit of God turned to the world and hovered, rakafed over the world in its terribleness. And that's what we saw in verse 2, God hovering over the world in its terribleness. And why did God hover or rakaf over the world in his terribleness? God hovered over the world in his terribleness because God cares He hates terribleness. He cares. He cares about this terrible state. Why? Because care is the nature of God. And God hovered over the earth in his terribleness because God wanted to fix the terribleness. Because wanting to fix what is terrible is the nature of God. And so that's why God hovered over the world in his terribleness. And in the same way as God hovered over the world in his terribleness, God hovered over us in our terribleness of our sins. And what was God doing when he was hovering over each one of us in our lost state? By hovering over each one of us, God was saying about each one of us, I hate the terrible condition that I see in this person and that person. By hovering over each one of us, God was saying about each one of us, I hate, I hate, there's no purpose in that life. And hovering over each one of us, God is saying about each one of us, I hate that there is that great emptiness in that heart. And by hovering over each one of us, God is saying about each one of us, I hate the darkness in that heart. So just as God is the go-to person to fix those problems on the earth, just as when Adam 
agreed to make God his go-to person to fix the problems. Eventually, Adam did. It was a little hard process, but that's okay. But just as when Adam did that, what God did is that he took Adam to a place of slaughter, and he killed animals to clothe Adam. So when we each make God, we made God our go-to person to fix the problems of no purpose, of emptiness and darkness in our lives, what did God do? He took us to a place of slaughter called Calvary and showed us a cross where he fixed the root problems by dying himself for our sins that caused our separation, that resulted in our purposelessness, emptiness, and darkness. We went to God as the repairer of our broken lives, and that's what all of that is about when we this intermediate step that God had in the creation of the world. But the reason the earth was fixed from its terrible problems, no order and emptiness and darkness, was because the Spirit of God hovered over the earth. And that hovering showed a great interest of God. A great interest. He was greatly interested. And so he's hovering. And the hovering of the Spirit of God over the earth was a detail that we need to know. Because we need to see. We need to see that the hover is a hover of interest. And we need to see that the hover is a hover of care. And it shows how God gravitates toward what interests him. It shows how God's hover is a hover of interest. And the hover of interest, that provides for us a pattern for how we study the Bible. So you was wondering why I was saying all this, right? It's why we're spending so much time in Genesis 15.1. Because it's something of great interest to us. So like God, we're hovering over these verses. <laughs> That's what we've been doing. Okay, so now you understand that part. That's good. All right, so now, We're looking again, and we're thinking here of God's statement to Abraham. We're imagining Abraham in our minds, and Abraham hears God say, I am thy shield. I am thy shield. And Abraham's thinking to himself, oh, can you imagine that? He himself is my shield. That's something. He didn't say, and Abraham's sitting there thinking, you know, he didn't say he was going to provide for me a lot of shields to protect me, or he's going to send shields to protect me, but he said that he himself would be my shield. Now, Abraham looks at his shield, and he says, you know, the shield that I've been using, it's got a little bit of wear and tear on it, as we talked about, right? And I can already see that, you know, one of these days, I'm going to have to go down to the shield store. <laughs> Abraham's saying, got to go down to the shield store, because this thing's going to wear out, <laughs> and it won't be any good anymore. And so maybe Abraham's looking over his shield, and he thinks about that. And then he, maybe he's looking over his shield, and he thinks, well, maybe I can fix it up a little bit and repair it. I mean, it's pretty damaged. I mean, look at all these slashes and these stabs and you know, these dagger marks, you know, so it's not as good as it used to be. And, but, you know, maybe I could put a few more layers of that toughened, dried goat skin that we used to eat. But anyway, over those damaged parts, you know. And, and so Abraham comes to the conclusion that, you know, there's only so much repair that you can do on this old shield, and pretty soon I'm going to have to throw it in the pile with the other old shields. Maybe there was a pile, I don't know. And go to the shield store. But that pretty soon part in Abraham, as he thinks about that, really impresses upon Abraham how this is a temporal shield, and it's going to wear out. And Abraham has just heard God say that he is his shield, and Abraham thinks, you know, God said to me that she is my shield, and since God is eternal... That means that God is going to be my eternal shield. You know, Abraham knew that God was eternal. And so he thinks, the eternal God is my shield. That means that I have an eternal shield. 
So Abraham, he was afraid. He says he's afraid. So he says, one thing I always worry about, not just today, but I worry about tomorrow. But since God is eternal, that means he's going to protect me for all my tomorrows. That means God's going to protect me in this life, and God's going to protect me in the next life also. Are there any dangers in heaven? Are there any dangers in heaven with God? Well, you could ask Lucifer that question. He got in a lot of trouble when he was in heaven, is with God. He fell into the greatest danger. He succumbed to pride, and he became Satan. And Satan, so Satan was in, Lucifer, before he became Satan, was in great danger in that life, in the next life. And so what will protect us in heaven with God, when we're with God? What's going to protect us from danger? The fact that God has promised to be our eternal shield. You know, turn, if you would, to an important verse in John 14, John 14, 16. It's an important verse. John 14, 16, because of the last phrase. It's all important, but especially the last phrase is important because it says this, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. That's an important phrase, that he may abide with you forever. And, you know, we think, well, I sure am glad I have the Holy Spirit down here on earth because I need him down here. There's a lot of dangers down here on earth. I mean, I really need the Holy Spirit to lead me, to guide me, and keep me out of trouble. But when I get to heaven, I don't think I'm going to need him anymore in heaven because everything is safe up there. Yes, sir, when I get to heaven, I'm going to buy a brand new pair of shoes and walk around. And I won't need the Holy Spirit anymore. So when I get to heaven, I'll be able to say to the Holy Spirit, thanks, thanks, Holy Spirit, for keeping me down here on earth. I won't be needing you anymore up here. So farewell, good friend. Right? But that's not true. That's not true. We need the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us and keep us out of trouble now. And we'll need him throughout eternity to lead us and guide us and keep it out of trouble. And if God doesn't know that, if my wife dies first, she's going to tell him. <laughs> She's going to say to him, you know, look, I know how much trouble he can get in. Don't take the Holy Spirit away from him. Or you have a lot of trouble in heaven. So when Abraham hears God say, I am thy shield, Abraham is hearing God say, I am thy, I, the eternal God, am thy eternal shield. And so Abraham thinks, for all my life and throughout all eternity, God is and will be my eternal shield to protect me from whatever dangers come whenever. That brings a whole new light to Ephesians 4.30 where it says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God because, you know, we're not going to say goodbye to him when we get to heaven. So we're gonna, he's going to be with us for eternity. So we should be on good relationship. Now, then he says in verse 1, so now again, that shield's been pretty important to Abraham as he's thought of how hard he gripped that shield in the battle. You know, the, it was an implement of his warfare. He's got a sword, he's got a stagger, I don't know what he's got. He's got a shield, and they all become, for the warrior, very important. You don't want to lose grip. You don't want to let them slip out of your hand. As a matter of fact, there's a great, great picture of that in 2 Samuel 23, 9 through 10. It's of a man named Eliezer. And you can always remember this man, Eliezer's name, and I'll show you why. It says, and after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo. <laughs> Eliezer, the son of Dodo, what could he do? You know, but he was no Dodo. And the Ahite, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines that were gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away, he arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave unto his sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and people returned after him only to the spoil. 
So here we have Eliezer. And so what happens to him? He's so gripping that sword, which is so important to him, that after a while, he's like one with the sword. They've got to pry his hand off when the day's over from gripping the sword because he's, just, he's relied so much on that sword. That's a great picture for us. Because Eliezer being one with his sword, where they have to pry his hand off at the end of the day, we understand that when God says, I am thy shield, Abraham's thinking to myself, boy, I put a lot of grip on that shield during the war. There was was no way I was going to let that shield go. And I was kind of like one with that shield. And God says, I am your shield. So I'm like one with God as my shield. And Abraham thinks to himself, boy, I got it. I can see how close I was to my shield in the battle just as Eliezer was, (laughs) couldn't get his hand pried off. And then Abraham said, you know, I never would have appreciated God as my shield. Well, let me just put it this way. He could say, I never really appreciated the shield so much as when I was in battle. Now I really appreciate this shield. This shield's not the same to me after the battle. Same way with God. He says, you know, I never really appreciated God as my shield if there had been no battle. And that's the same with us. We get really close to the Lord Jesus Christ when we go into battle and find him as our shield. We find that we never have appreciated him if there had been no battle. There's a special appreciation that comes. You know, when the battle comes, when the fight comes, like this last week for me, we say, oh no, you know, what are we going to do? You know, the first instinct is, you know, how do I avoid this? You know, how do I run away? How do I, you know, let's not have a conflict. But that's not so with God. God is up to the fight, provided it's his battle. He's up to the fight because of what it says about him in Exodus 15.3. The Lord is a man of war. But it's the right fight. God says, I'm up for the fight. God says, I'm a man of war. The Lord is his name. And during that fight, God knows how close, like a warrior gets close to a shield, how close we're going to get to God. God. You know, we look at the battle and we say, oh, this is terrible. God says, this is great. All right. Now, he says, I am thy shield. So Abraham thought of God, and he thinks of God, and he's thinking to himself, oh, he said, I am thy shield. And he thinks that, you know, what God did not say. God did not say, I'm going to protect you by making your army strong. And I'm going to protect you by making other people afraid of you. And I've got, I mean, Abraham could have thought, you know, God has a lot of options to protect me. You know, like God walking through his arsenal. And he's looking at his arsenal, and he's, he's passing angels. He passes, you know, look, there's Michael. He, I rely a lot on him, you know, the archangel. And there's Gabriel. And so Abraham, Abraham thinks, you know, what God did not say, God did not say, you know what, I've assigned my trusted, most trusted angel, Michael, the archangel, and he's going to be your shield. God didn't say that. Or Gabriel's going to be your shield, the great heralder. But instead, he's not satisfied with any of those options. And instead, he says, no, 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 there's only one option. There's only one option for me to see Abraham protected. And I myself will be Abraham's shield. I myself am going to do it. Tom, today you mentioned darkness in a person's heart and how God can hover over each one of us and fix us. I think there's even a verse in the Bible that speaks about God's marvelous light coming to us in darkness. Yes, that was where Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 9, that God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's a wonderful, wonderful picture there of God realizing that we're in darkness and he calls us to come out of the darkness, not just to a light, any light, 
but what he describes as a marvelous light. And we can ask the question, what makes the light marvelous? Well, it's marvelous because we didn't expect it. The darkness that's being referred to here that he called us out of is the darkness of our own sin, the darkness of our own rebellion against God, the darkness of our of, of our Frank Sinatra spirit of I did it my way, not God's way. That's what makes the theme song in hell, I did it my way, versus the theme song in heaven, which is I did it God's way. But it's the darkness to be about me, myself, and my way, and 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 uh, headstrongness, and sin, and iniquity, and rebellion against God. That's all darkness. And God says, I'm calling you out of the darkness. And it's marvelous because it's a beautiful light of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we see the Lord Jesus Christ for who he is, in his beauty, in his deity as God, For us who come from darkness, it's marvelous. What's that mean? It means it causes us to sit down and just be consumed with the marvel of it all. Oh, the marvel of it all. He's so clean. He's so pure. He's so good. He has such a heart of compassion for us. He has such the rescuer's heart. He has the fireman's heart that will rush into the building without any concern of his own safety in order to rescue the perishing. That's him. And when we see this heart of his and the light of it all, we say, he is a marvelous light. See, it's not just it is a marvelous light. It's him as a marvelous light. That's why he said, I am the light of the world. So the light of the world is the Lord Jesus Christ, and we worship him, we love him, and we marvel at his beauty, and that's why he is the marvelous light. So when it says he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, it means he called us to the light of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and because all we've known is darkness and the coldness and the terribleness of our own sin, and we come to the warmth of his love and the beauty of his holiness, and we say, oh, he's a marvelous light. That's what the word marvelous means. That's a beautiful description of our Savior. You know, Tom, there's a lot of people that think that going to hell happens because people aren't perfect. And they say that to send a person to hell because he or she isn't perfect or righteous enough just isn't fair. Now, what does the Bible say about why people go to hell? You know, that's very relevant. And I've also heard people say, well, I'm not perfect, so if that means that I've got to go to hell because I'm not perfect, then I guess that's up to God. But uh, if that's the way God is, I'm not interested in God. You know, I've heard it too. And it's very, very relevant. And so that's why it's extremely important to understand why people go to hell. And the Lord Jesus Christ did not mince words on this. It's only three verses after the great love verse, the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Three verses later, John three nineteen, he says, and this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness 
rather than light because their deeds were evil. Oh, that verse is pregnant with meaning, and we've got to break it down piece by piece so that we don't miss a part. First of all, he said, this is condemnation. Now, if you want to take a piece of paper, you can write condemnation equals or condemnation is. He said, this is the condemnation. He says, the condemnation. This is the one singular condemnation that will send anyone and everyone to hell. Here it is. He says, light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Light is come into the world. When did light come into the world? Well, light came into the world the moment, the minute that that, um, Adam sinned. And when God came into the garden, Adam, where art thou? That was light coming into the world to seek Adam. When a person is born into this world and they look around at the creation, like in Africa, and they said, wow, such beautiful animals, how they're made, how they're provided for, how they eat, how they survive. When he sees that, he realized light has come into the world, light of creation from a great God. When he looks at how his own body is made, and he said, the creator made me, that's light that's come into his life because he understands the wonder of his creation. Light has come into the world supremely when God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, became a man and came into this world. Why? To save the lost, not to destroy, but to save. Light came into the world. When a person is handed a Bible, that's light coming into his life. When a person goes to church and hears that God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that's light coming into his world. Light comes into the world, and men love darkness. And that's why they go to hell, because they said to God, no. We will not have this man to reign over us. And they said, we will love darkness rather than light. You know, there was a very, very descriptive time in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, actually toward his end, when Pilate stood there and he said to the Jewish people, you have a choice. Will you choose the Lord Jesus Christ? Or he said, will you choose Jesus? Or will you choose Barabbas, who was a murderer and it was a very bad person? That was a choice. And they chose Barabbas. Barabbas, the wrong choice. Every time a person sins against God, he is choosing Barabbas. Every time you and I sin, we choose Barabbas. That's bad. That's choosing darkness rather than light. If a man chooses the ultimate choice, which is to reject the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I don't care. Let him be crucified. I want my life of sin. That's choosing darkness. That's loving darkness rather than light. And that is a rejection of the light. And that's the condemnation that sends a person to hell. Not the fact that he's not perfect, not the fact that he's not righteous enough or is not like Mother Teresa. That's not what sends a person to hell. What sends a person to hell is their rejection of the light, the fact that light has come into the world. What makes hell more hell than another person? The fact that he has had more light that he has rejected, more darkness that he has loved, more darkness that he has chosen rather than light. That makes hell more hell for a person. But 
because they're not perfect? No, God knows they're not perfect. This is the condemnation, he said in John 3, 19. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world. This radio program and others are light coming into the world. Opening the Bible and seeing that the Lord Jesus Christ died for you is light coming into the world. And when men say, no, we would rather have Barabbas, we love our darkness too much, we would rather have the darkness of sin and choose those evil deeds, then God says, that's the condemnation that sends to hell. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Now, our resource for this month is from Tom Cantor, and it's called How Would You Learn the Meaning of Isaiah 53, which is a uniquely written presentation of the gospel. Now, we'll also include with this resource this month Tom Cantor's personal testimony of how a Jew came to know and put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll receive both of these for a $10 or more donation to the Friendship with God radio program. Now, you'll also receive a matching donation from Israel Restoration Ministries towards Jewish evangelism. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile. Now, at Israel Restoration Ministries, we help you to fulfill that great commission by reaching the Jewish people first with the gospel, not just here in America, but around the world, South America, Israel, Canada, Cambodia, wherever there are Jewish people, we get the gospel to them through Israel Restoration Ministries, and your support to this radio ministry helps with the matching donation that comes in and supports Jewish evangelism. So call us today and get these two resources and help support Jewish evangelism around the world. You'll get the meaning of Isaiah 53, as well as Tom Cantor's testimony. Call us at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Or you can go online to friendshipwithgod.org. We have an online bookstore and you can donate online. So friendshipwithgod.org or 1-800-247-3051.